Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, the pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida, Josh King, the pastor of Saxe's Church in Saxe, Texas, and me, Micah Fries, the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're glad you're here. Hey, and welcome to this week's episode of EST. We're having a lot of fun talking through issues about the established church. How do we serve well? We know that Jesus loves the church and gave himself for her, uh, but at the same time, it can be difficult to serve her and to serve, uh, you know, in the various contexts that we find ourselves in. And so uh, we get to hang out every week and talk through just some of the different issues that are unique to the established church. And so I'm here again with Josh and Sam, and we are looking forward to today's topic. We're going to talk about um, mean girls, right? Is that what we're going to talk about? Maybe, <laughs> maybe not so much. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about mean, you know, what happens when you have mean difficult people. people, mean people, or, yeah. or even, and remember, you know, oftentimes difficult people are not necessarily mean. They just profoundly disagree with you on yeah. whether anything from theology to methodology. Um, and so we're going to talk today about how to, how to handle, how to deal with difficult people, difficult groups in your church, and uh, difficult, particularly difficult communications. What happens when you get the anonymous note? And I'm, maybe I'm just the only one that gets it. Sam and Josh probably are free of the anonymous angry notes from time to time. But how do we handle those sorts of things? Let's talk through that a little bit. Josh, you told a story a few weeks ago about some tension between you and a former pastor and uh, mm. him calling you out from the platform at a funeral. At how a did funeral. you help navigate through that tension uh, with the members of your local church? Well, there's a couple of philosophies that I have that I communicate a lot. And so one of the main philosophies that I have preached on this very topic, also led the staff through, is um, just the way I sum it up is don't engage, don't engage, don't engage. And I don't know how many times I've said that. So you're going to get some mean stuff coming at you. You're going to get people saying mean things, that sort of stuff. But I think the principle within Scripture is that we don't engage in that Another thing that I, uh, I constantly teach is that the gospel does not allow for us to self-defend. There is no defense of ourselves. And I don't know who it was who said it. Maybe, I mean, it could have been any of those great old preachers. But the um, anything that anyone else says about you isn't nearly as true as it is. So no matter what they say about you, you are much worse. And well, so, and, and I would say, I actually really believe this. You're never as bad as your critics think, and you're never as good as your fans think. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. I don't like to use them necessarily in those categories. But, I mean, pastors have a tendency to have polar, sort of polar extremes occur for them within the body. And some people mm-hmm. just love them and think that they can't do any, anything wrong, and that's not true. And then there are those who think everything they do is wrong. And, you know, frankly, that's not true either. And so right. being centered in Christ is such a major element of us being able to succeed as pastors because we're going to get bombarded from time to time with lots of lots of affirmation and praise and right. lots of critique. And just Sunday I preached on uh, Paul in front of the Sanhedrin and he reviles the the high priest and then he repents of that. And so when you see the example of Christ before the Sanhedrin and he doesn't respond to the criticism, that sort of thing, I think it's just better not to respond. Just especially if it's anonymous, especially if it's mean-spirited, those sort of things. I just don't engage, don't respond. And in the end, uh, I think character and example wins out. Sam, has anyone ever sent you a nasty note? And if so, what do you do about it? Yeah, so one of the things that I do with, I'll call them nasty grams, 
Um, you can take what you want you with start that. a website, a social media thing, a social media platform called Nastygram. <laughs> yeah, that's not I work. don't think I'm going to do that. I don't but... think it'd be helpful to my, <laughs> my church or me or Josh or his church, but you know, you might could make a profit. I, uh, Maybe. I have received a nasty gram on occasion. Um, it, it has happened. One of my favorites was uh, at Christmas time at a previous church. So I always want to clarify previous church, uh, not my current church. And it involved uh, poinsettias. So it was at Christmas time. We had put poinsettias on the stage. It was kind of a tradition for the church. They had this thing where you could buy the poinsettias and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, um, the maintenance guy learned that one of the members had an allergy to poinsettias and apparently it was so serious that if this person came in contact with them they could die like it was, it was pretty bad so he just took it upon himself to move the poinsettias and i i'll never forget the um the note the anonymous note that i received in the offering plate and uh it was it was handwritten on the back of an offering envelope which is always great um I've when had people ones of those. was there any money in it no, no money. Of course not. No, no, no. Um, and it just said, it said something to the degree of, and I've got it. I, I should go pull it out of my file, but it because uh, I definitely kept it. It said, uh, "Bring back the poinsettias or else," um, or, or something to that degree. <laughs> so Sam, why are you such a Grinch? Why are you so mean at Christmas? Why are you? Oh, and by the way, it's poinsettia. Just just pointing that out oh since I rarely get a chance to to you know correct you on something I don't think, but I don't that, think Josh knows what he's talking about Sam so not nah, look it up Poinsetta Poinsetta okay, says no one that just, ever that, that just <laughs> doesn't matter weird. if we say it or not that's what it is oh my so gosh one, one of the things that I do whether it be an email or um or a handwritten note I have what I call a cocoa puffs file and it, it just does my soul good to take those nasty grams and to put them in my Cocoa Puffs file um, because it, it just kind of calms me down a little so bit. So why is it so called I have a, pl- a Cocoa Puffs file? Uh, because some people are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Oh, there yeah. we go. I wondered All about right. that. Okay. And and I, I'll, I'll put them there, and that's where they stay. And so it helps me, and I guess the lesson in all of this, it helps me not react viscerally mm. because sometimes when you get those barbs, you have a tendency to push back, be defensive, whatever, and you react viscerally, and it doesn't help anybody when the lead guy or the ministry leader reacts viscerally to criticism. It just makes everyone feel awkward. So mm-hmm. I have some things that I do to kind of calm myself down about it because I, I have a tendency to react viscerally to things. Uh, but, yeah, I have a Cocoa Plus file. That's that's where they go. What do you guys think about one of the approaches that I've used? I have been pastoring for five and a half years, uh, lead pastoring. I have never once received an anonymous email or, you know, letter or email, a negative what? email. Never once. I think but you want to be you, Josh. Here's the philosophy. Here's what I do. When things are great, I mention what I will do to one of those. And so, like, <laughs> not too long ago, I said, you know, I'm about to preach on something that is going to be polarizing. Half of you will disagree with me. And if that is you... Type it out in an email and then delete it because that's what I'm going to do. Don't send me emails that are mean. I also have said before, you know, if you send an anonymous letter, I don't respond to anonymous letters, so don't send them. And I've never received it. So I think there is maybe some logic. And everybody gets a good laugh. Everybody laughs at it. But I think there may be some logic to letting everybody know. I'm not going to let that affect me. Now, if they come, I will be totally affected by it and, you know, devastated for a week (laughs) and a half. But... I just let everybody know, don't do that. And I think that helps. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe. Now, I am 
I, I don't know if I'm the most victimized by passive aggressive statuses on on Twitter or Facebook. <laughs> I I get that a lot, passive aggressive stuff, but never an anonymous note or, or letter. I don't I don't do anything if it's anonymous. There's nothing yeah. you can do. So I have I, a friend I, that shot a video of him like showing like he was like I got this anonymous letter today, and then he holds up a, a you know a a shredder and then just shreds the note on the video and he posted it to the church's Facebook. And I mean, it was awesome. It was kind of bold. I don't know if that could work in your church, but, uh, it yeah, no, that, that would definitely not work in, in my church. I would probably be having a conversation with my personnel committee if, if I did something like that, <laughs> but awesome. good, good for the boldness. Good for the boldness. Yeah. yeah I mm. think, I think I don't mind being, um, I wouldn't be that bold. I, I wouldn't. I mean, for one, that's just not me. I just wouldn't do something like that. But um, I, I don't mind sort of confidently dismissing anything that's anonymous. That definitely doesn't bother me. When I was a younger pastor 15 years ago, um, I would lose sleep over those sorts of things. I don't anymore. It, it, you know, I recognize that, you know, I said this a few weeks ago, but, but we can't, I really don't think we can underline this enough. Those of us who are in leadership, we think of, I think of religion and politics, these two domains. Those of us who are in leadership of those two domains, we like to think that they are predominantly, um, you know, intellectual pursuits. Give the data, people perceive the data, determine it's true, and make a decision accordingly. But we forget that faith, and, and politics both, but for our world, faith is predominantly driven by emotional visceral emotional response and, and if you can win the the emotional response if you can win the heart then you can get to you know the intellectual things it, the old, it goes the old saying you know people want to know that that you care before they care what you know right right they want to know right. that you genuinely love them that's that's what i'm saying and so i recognize sometimes that there are going to be visceral responses from people in the congregation um and they're they might even regret them after they're done but they're going to offer them because some emotional issue at their core has been touched. And so for one, mm -hmm. I try to be very careful not to take anonymous or signed notes very personally because I want to be I want to I want to step back and sort of be critical about it in my own mind. Is this just an emotional response somebody has personally connected to an issue? You know, I do a thing here where we have a we use Google Voice because uh, it's free. So we have a Google Voice phone number. We encourage our church members to text message questions into this Google Voice number every week, and it's anonymous, and they get to text message questions in about the church or the sermon, predominantly about the sermon. And every Tuesday afternoon, I go on Facebook, on Facebook Live, and I answer their questions live on Facebook Live, and then we keep it posted, and people can go and view it. And it's been really popular, and, and it's been helpful. It's been for, for me, it's a great way to apply the sermon from day to day. But I get regularly... Every week or two, I'll get some questions that it's pretty clear somewhere, somehow, an emotional nerve got touched and somebody's upset. And so what I have to do is sort of step back and sort of ask the question, first of all, is this an emotional response? Second of all, is there any truth in it? Is there some substance in it? And I do that even with anonymous notes. I will disregard them. I won't respond to them. But I, I definitely, if I'm going to be honest, I definitely evaluate them and ask the question, is there anything in here that I need to kind of consider? And I would hope, you know, that we would have enough humility to sort of recognize that there can be, even in emotional responses that haven't been offered the way they should, there can be truth in them. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and I, so for me, that's sort of how it is. I don't ever respond well, me, publicly to an anonymous note. I do yeah. respond to everyone that's signed, everyone that's written. Mm -hmm. I try to do so in grace and, and hopefully grace and love and humility. But sure. for me, a big question is, is there anything of substance in here? 
Even right. even underneath all the angst and emotion, could there be something in here that I really and need to pay attention is. to? There usually is. There usually is. Sam's right. There. Usually there is something in there that I need they to pay did, attention yeah. to. Even if you said it wrong, you were right, but you That's said right. it wrong. So That's let me right. let me sidestep just a second. I don't want to get away from the idea of dealing with difficult people, but I'm real curious to ask you guys since you've got so much more experience. Uh, a friend of mine asked me about this. He got an anonymous note that wasn't critical of him. It said that there was sin in the camp, that these other people were doing something, and it, it was a big deal. And, you know, it was like sin was invading this small group, and they, they wanted to let the elders know. And so because it was anonymous, he didn't know what to do with it. Could those he actually common. confront? Those are common. I've had those yeah. throughout my ministry. Yep. I've I never mean, had. What do you do with that? I, I, if it's anonymous, there's nothing you can do because it's—I it, mean, there's no—that's there's no biblical way to respond to yeah, I, someone I, someone bringing that up. I would say I agree with Sam unless it is someone who's on my staff, someone who's a key leader in the church, and it's a moral—there's a moral claim that there's some oh, okay. significant moral failure. I mean, you said right, there's, you said sin in yeah. the camp. Yeah. And so if there's—I I would probably go privately to them and just quietly— you know, ask the question, is there any legitimacy to this? How do we know that this isn't true? I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in it, but I would feel some sort of compulsion to at least address it privately, quietly. Um, But even then, I would never want to say anything publicly about it because I don't want to give credence to anonymous claims. And I teach that from the pulpit. When people come to me and they in person say to me, here's a problem with so-and-so, I tell them I don't have a response to that. You mm-hmm. have an op- obligation to go confront them if you know of sin. Did in their you lives. talk to so and so? Yeah, did right. you talk that's to my them response first. every time? No, you. Well, but pastor, it's your. No, it's really not. I mean, Matthew eighteen you know, is that's pretty clear. An, you have a responsibility. You know, I think that's another thing we can teach in the way we handle our business here at our church. We did away with anonymous voting, and so on the times that we do voting, you either have to raise your hand or stand. That's yeah. the only way that we vote for anything outside of church discipline. Now, church discipline, if we have to remove somebody from the fellowship, we will do that anonymous just in case uh, maybe it's a family member and you need to act in your conscience, but you don't want to create family drama. So for every vote we do, it's public. There is no anonymous sort of voting, only, and I think that teaches that. The only vote that we do that's anonymous is senior pastor. We do a mm. we do a ballot vote for senior pastor, but we do everything else publicly. Whether it's calling a staff member or budget or whatever the case might be, we do everything else publicly. And I teach yeah. them that I say, look, if you believe about something, you ought to believe it enough to stand on it. So yeah. go ahead and stand up. Which I'm not saying that's what everybody has to do, but I think we. Um, what do you What do you think about that, Sam? Um, well, I guess you you said what you would do with that. That yeah. Uh, well, okay. So if it's something so grave, like. Uh, you know, child protection issue or something, some criminal activity or something. I mean, if you're talking something that's very serious, well, of course you go to the person that's been accused and and you talk to them about it. But if it's an anonymous note, um, it's very difficult to really act on it. But um, I often have received emails throughout my ministry from some random person who's set up an anonymous account saying, I know something about your church. You know, hey, you need to, you need to be aware of this or you need to watch out for this. And you know, there's no, just not a whole lot that you can do because most of the time they're very vague. So I guess that's where where I'm coming from is when I get those types of letters or notes or emails, they're always they're always vague, and so you can't really act on them. But something right. specific like, hey, so and so is committing a crime, 
Well, then, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You have to act on that. You have to do something about it or um, and at least, you know, record what it is that you did, uh, because that could that could cause long term devastating problems. But yeah, in in that case, document, 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 bring in your elders, your personnel mm -hmm. committee or whoever it is. Right. Um, You know, I've had a few cases like that where they they were really made up claims, completely made up. But we documented it. We talked about it. There was a paper trail. I know that sounds very formal and, and silly, but you really you're want the church. You're protecting. You want to protect the church, yeah, all. not just you. Okay, well, you know that was a sidestep, and I admitted that. But let's uh let's stay back onto the difficult people. Is there any axioms or philosophies or maybe data that you have in dealing with difficult groups? Let's let's move away from the notes. Just in person. If you're trying to move the church in a direction, how do you deal with those people that are just, I'm not going to do that? Yeah, I mean, there's degrees of people and, you know, difficulties. So it's not like every person that has a complaint is a bad person. Um, so, I mean, you, you have a few options. I mean, you can, if, if you're a people pleaser, I guess you tend to pout um, mm-hmm. because anyone brings you anything and uh, if it's negative in any way, it kind of brings you down and I guess the first thing that I would do is assess, okay, where where on the spectrum of negativity is this? Mm-hmm. Um, because it could be something as mild as, I didn't quite, I didn't get your sermon point. Like, Pastor, you weren't right. you weren't clicking today. I mean, I just mm-hmm. I just didn't get it. Can you help me? That person is not really being that negative. All the way to you know some very very serious things like. You better show up to the business meeting tonight because we're going to vote you out. I mean, it, you know, right? I've, I've Jeb's had, got a gun. Yeah, I've had. Yeah. I've had. Let me tell you, I've had the the spectrum from as mild as you know, just you know, I don't understand, all the way up to police protection in the pulpit. I mean, I've well, been think, there with having I think my that's life. That's a good read. place to start is to realize that not everybody who's negative or difficult is necessarily mean about it. They might be ignorant. They might be emotionally changed. Are charged, Micah. Again, we're talking about like this axiom. Do you have any like? What would you share about like just axioms or, or philosophies when dealing with difficult people as a group? Not necessarily like through anonymous letters, just yeah, they're I, being difficult. I think one of the things you've got to realize, and I don't know that a lot of pastors fully understand this. Pastors are profoundly public people who engage in Im- intensely emotional topics. You will be a lightning rod. And if you're not okay with that, you probably aren't going to do well in the pastorate. I mean, this is one of those areas where you have to sort of assume that that's one of the risks that comes with the job. And uh, to Sam's point, I mean, I've I've been there too. Had you know people threaten? <laughs> we've yeah, we've we've. In fact, at the church now, I have uh, I have a security detail that literally travels with me when I go from one service to the next, and they have a special seat in the auditorium and. You know, we have this. We have a whole security team that we've put together because of enough threats. At the previous church I served, had threats that we had to put an alarm system on my house because of you know because people got emotional, people got upset, and and most of the time the really intensely emotional stuff didn't happen from what I said from the pulpit. It would come from doing marriage counseling with you know an abusive husband or you know a very difficult and painful personal situation, but. All that to say, you're a very public, a very public individual who lives um, a very fairly transparent life, and you deal with very emotional topics. So, first of all, you just need to be aware of that, and you need to own that. And, and, it, and if you can't handle that, it's probably not going to be a good place for you. 
The other thing that's been really helpful for me, you know, I've been, I mean, I'm not a, an old guy, but I've been doing this for almost 20 years now, around 20 years now. And it occurred to me the other day, and it was kind of sad, but it occurred to me the other day that I can't remember being surprised about an issue of sin or anger. It's, it's been a long time since I was actually surprised by any of that in the church. I've seen and heard too many stories that I understand that we're all broken and we're all sinful. And that's been helpful to me, too, to moderate expectations. I don't expect the people that I serve to sort of serve my emotional needs, right? I don't anticipate them being great or being pro-Mica, um, and I don't have to have that. But I think for us to have a strong awareness of depravity and the, the potential that every single person around us, but for the grace of God, could run into deep sin, and part of that sin could be directed toward you as a result of something you've done, has been very helpful to me to sort of moderate my expectations of the world around me. And here's the other thing to also help me deeply love people who are deep in sin or even deep in opposition to me. Because I recognize that sin has the capacity to do that in all of us, and so my expectations are just sort of set accordingly. Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right there. One thing that I would share for some of my friends when I'm talking to them, everybody, all churches have difficult groups. You just have that. They're difficult because of, uh, you know, various reasons. I would be careful if you're a pastor— and you're dealing with a difficult group out of hate, like you really hate them. Uh, I think that there's something that you need to kind of address there. And I do understand that in some situations somebody might say, well, you don't understand, Josh. She threatened my wife. Or you don't understand, he smacked my son. Something like that. Okay, I get that that's going to be emotional on your part. But for the majority of our issues, when they just don't want to call their Sunday school class a small group, when they won't switch off of that curriculum to the sermon-based curriculum, when they won't you know, move the service time from 9.30 to 9.15. If you hate those people, there's something odd there. My wife has often said, how can you just, how can you just keep smiling at that guy and like <laughs> shake his hand and like <laughs> hug him? And I was like, I'll, all I can tell you, Jackie, is it's a lot like being a parent. There's just this weird love I have for him That's because right. he's in the church. I just love him. He gets on my last nerves, but right. I don't hate him. I right. just, you know, love him differently. And- and right. the difficult people will change depending on the issue. So that guy that you're talking about is like your best friend depending on what, what you're talking about or what issue is at hand. So often you'll find that you'll bring up something, you'll try to change something, and then and that group is there. But then you'll move, on, you'll move on to something else and it'll be a completely different group. And the one group that was against you is now for you. And so it's always in flux. So you have to keep that in mind too that sometimes difficult people are issue-based or change-based. And it's not like they're completely against you. It's just they're against that one thing. And then the next thing, they may be for you on it. Right. Yeah, it's important to kind of see what they're actually against. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. And, and again, rem- you know, we've talked about this a number of times already. But remember that you may not be the issue in the sense that um, when they, the church is emotionally connected to each individual. Their kids were baptized there. They got married there. And when things get rocked, when somebody moves their cheese, it may not be you at all that they're really angry about. They're just angry that things aren't the way they were. And that's Mm -hmm. discomforting and people don't know how to respond to that. And so, you know, we've got to help be gracious. If we can't be gracious, if we can't be humble, if we can't be accommodating, if we can't be long-suffering, if 1 Corinthians chapter 13 can't be true for pastors, 
How in the world can it be true for our people? And so, you know, I, I think that we've just got to sort of walk through this with a First Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love mm-hmm. believes the best. Love hopes all things. This needs to be our orientation to the church. What would you guys say for the guy who's listening right now that's like, these are really difficult people. I'm leaving. I'm out of this. I can't do this anymore. What would you say, Sam? Oh, wow. You know, I'd want to know more about the issue. But, you know, if you're there, I mean, if you have gotten to the point to where you want to bail on your church, I mean, one, I would I would want to know more. But there, there's some serious soul searching that that needs to be done you know big big question why you know Mm -hmm. and it could be legit i mean it could be it's like wow these people yeah these people are terrible and you're not the guy to lead them i I would say this though um coming from experience it is a whole lot harder to uh find a job if you don't have a job so you know to to, i mean i I know that i don't want to um you know sound like I'm overly pragmatic or anything, because if you need to bail, I mean, it, it very well could be that that's the case, but and that's what God's calling you to do, and you're just mm-hmm. supposed to leave. But in most cases, it's probably better to hang on while you, you, you know, look for something else. So that would be the first thing is I would ask is, all right, do you, do you really have to just up and leave? Yeah. Um, or, if or nobody's can, in physical danger, then... R- right. And, and that's going to be better for the church, too, because it's very disruptive when someone mm-hmm. just resigns and... And moves on, and there's nothing there, and there's questions, and, and the church is fighting. And so it, even yeah. if you feel like you got to get out, it, it, typically it's better for the church to you to stay there and transition well as opposed to transition poorly. Now, I, I say that with the big caveat, like it completely what, what depends happened? on the situation. Yeah. But let's be real, 19 out of 20 times, yeah, I mean, it, it's better for you to hang on, transition well, try to leave the church better than when you found it. I mean, th- that's what I would generally tell people. What, what do you What do you think, Micah? Because generally the advice is just stay. Like, oh, there's, there's difficult people everywhere. Yes, and I think that's correct. I think there are difficult people everywhere. So I would, I would say, I mean, here's the thing. I don't think there's a way I can say one way or another, this is what you should do. I mm-hmm. think it's going to depend on the situation, and each situation is unique. I do think, as a pastor, we don't we don't cut and run every time there's a really hard situation, a really hard situation. If we can't pastor, you know, here's one of the things I always am troubled by. We're all looking for the perfect church to go pastor and it doesn't exist. And what should make pastoring great is our capacity to shepherd people through difficult situations, hard times and move them toward a preferred future. I mean, that's what good, healthy, biblical pastoral leadership looks like. So, so for one, let's not cut and run every time there's a challenge and there's a trouble or there's a hard person who doesn't like you. Secondly, let's remember you, we have a responsibility both to the church we lead to lead them well and to the family we lead to protect them, to provide for them. And so on the one hand, if your family's at risk, if they're getting attacked, I mean, if that sort of thing's happening, then yes, maybe it could be that the best thing is to, uh, you know, a, a scenario where you exit the church and you, you do something else for a little while. But if they're not at risk... Providing for them physically is important. So in that regard, and to Sam's point, it's harder to find a church from not being in a church than it is if you are in a church. So I would say the better option for you there is, is you know, to stay. But again, that second part is just pragmatic. I mean, theologically, unless you've just reached this untenable point where you, you can't even get in the same room and it's either you or them, somebody has to go, you know, then... And sometimes that does happen. Uh, And sometimes it is theology. Like the church completely changes doctrine. That's right. And and so if that is, you know, if that happens, I get it. 
But otherwise, man, where are the pastors who are going to plow through the hard stuff? You know, where, mm. where, where are we at? Who shepherd gonna, up. That, yeah. That's yeah, man, it. I, love, up. I love the guy that's like, man, this church stinks. I would mm. never join this church if it was <laughs> if 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 I had to just join. But God has called me here. And man, I'm going to shepherd these people mm-hmm. and I'm going to get them through it. You know, that that's a hero right there. That's that's right. a real that's pastor right, right there. The, the guy that's, that's right. like, I'm digging in. That's and right. yeah, this this church is just terrible. But yeah. you at know the, what? The, I'm going to the shepherd time, them and we're going to get there. I mean, that, that's yeah. a good that's a good at pastor the same time. Right we want to talk to those of you who are hurting and just say, look, we've been there. We know that the, we know those feelings. We know the angst in your stomach. We know you and your wife are sitting up late talking about this. And so. Uh, we're there with you on that. We're not telling you that you're weenies for dealing with that, but at the same time, uh, you know, keep fighting. Keep, yeah, I, keep being strong. I would say, Josh, let's be the pastoral version, if possible, of Jason Garrett. I figured you'd appreciate this, the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> head coach. Like, come on, who in, in the NFL has been more under fire over the last three or four or five years mm-hmm. with everybody on his back, and yet – just Look at him now. Saying. He's seven and one, arguably the best team in football. Well, behind the Patriots, probably right. And I know that's a, a funny analogy, but right. look, I mean, Garrett, he, he he's been faithful. He had a plan. He's been working that plan. I'd say the same thing to you. And I'll tell you this: just in terms of discipleship strategy on the whole, and maybe we should talk about this on a in a fuller podcast at some point. The, the fidelity to a strategy is far more important than the content of the strategy when it comes to leading church as well. Pastors are like uh, my my daughter when it comes to shoes. Like every time I show her a new pair of shoes, like she starts drooling, eyes start glittering. Pastors to strategy are like that with my daughter and her shoes. Like every time we see a new strategy, we want to grab it off the shelf and implement it at our church. Right, right. What we need, you know, you look at a Rick Warren, and, and folks like Rick Warren. Some don't like Rick Warren. That's fine. I like him. I'm thankful for him. Love bit, that guy. I am too. You know what makes Rick Warren great? It's for 30-plus years they've been running that doggone base path. Hawaiian shirts. Well, Hawaiian shirts too. But I mean, and he hugs everybody. He's never seen a stranger. But what makes him so great, what what I think makes Saddleback so great is that they've been running those doggone base paths for 30 plus years. It's a simple strategy. It's kind of a goofy strategy, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. But they've relentlessly, through good days, bad days, they've relentlessly run that strategy. So what happens, Pastor, if you can be faithful, have a strategy, and just faithfully implement that strategy year after year, you know, Decade after decade and see what God does. Yeah, so the topic was, what do we do with difficult people? How do we deal with difficult people? And I think some of the things we just said, you know, realize where they are, realize where your heart is, and be faithful. I think that that's really going to be kind of the summary of that sort of point. Anything other things to add? No, I think that's I think that's fairly good. I, I, would, I mean, again, in the end, I just say this. Pastors really do get beat up. Pastors really do get hurt. Sometimes pastors really do have to leave their church. If that's you, no that you are loved. I hope you remain faithful. I hope you remain humble and gracious in it. But I'm confident God has a good future for you. But for those who can stay, stay and just be faithful. And uh, and I think God's going to bless that. But just know that the three of us are for you. You guys who are pastor in the established church, it's not an easy task. Sometimes people are going to get ticked off at you. They're going to be hard. That's right. God's good. And, and I'm telling you, it's worth it. The reward is yeah. worth it. Josh, talk to yeah, us about social media. Oh, I'm sorry, Sam. Do you want to say something? No, I was I was just going to say the only thing that we really missed was church discipline because there is a time to that do that. True. I think that's for a future episode. And I think probably all mm. of us have, have probably all of us have had to remove people from membership because of church discipline before. Been yep. there, done that. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, 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 yeah, we've seen it be very helpful, and I, I've seen people redeemed through church discipline. But yeah, mm. I'm with you. Maybe we need to do a full conversation about that'd that. That'd be a future. great one. 
All right. Well, in the meantime, make sure that you are subscribing on iTunes. You can find us at EST Church on Twitter. That's our main sort of social media headquarters. But that doesn't mean that you can't share us all throughout Facebook or the Pinterest or whatever it is that you are doing. Make sure everybody knows about EST Podcast. We've got a number of users submitted or, or listener submitted um, topics coming up. We've got some stuff from Michael Cooper, Jesse Gruber, Dan Dalton, Bobby Cates, all in the hopper. And so... Make sure that you're listening, subscribe, rate, and review, and we will see you next week.